Welcome to the River City Church podcast and a message by our lead pastor, Jason Powers. Our prayer is that this message would inspire and encourage you, build your faith, and point you to the life-changing love of Jesus. May you enjoy the goodness of God as you follow him today. Hi, everybody. It's good to see y'all. I'm glad that you're here. I love baby dedication because it takes, because it takes all of us. It really does. Um, uh, parenting is hard, and if you're parenting for the first time, right, you, 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 it's all good. They're like, oh, yeah, right, and then you get into it, and you're like, wait, this baby has to stay with me forever, right? They're like, you have to feed it every day. Like, I'm responsible for another human, and that's, that's difficult. So uh, we are grateful when the Lord sends them here um, because it's an opportunity to uh, see his gift, his blessing, but to practice some of the things that we've been talking about. Before we jump in, we wrap up our series on the Holy Spirit today. And let me just say, um, first, let's do our, um, our confession. Uh, it kind of centers us at the foot of the cross, our need for the gospel. Our confession is, we are badly broken. Yes, you are. Grace and peace to you. If you'll give me just a second, I do want to kind of acknowledge uh, as we wrap up today, right? Um, Maybe I don't want to hesitate to call it a trigger warning, but it's kind of a trigger warning. Um, uh, And you'll know, like we're going to talk about some things that may be just difficult. It may be a little bit part of your story, kind of some some church abuse stuff today. We're going to kind of shine a spotlight on some of the uh, Holy Spirit stuff that may be uncomfortable. It may be, you know, just uh, you'll know you want to see it. I want to start with just saying, listen, Jesus came to give us life, not condemnation which means that he may look at some things in our life and just go, hey, that needs tweaking. At which point you go, but I don't wanna tweak it, it serves me just fine. At which point he goes, yeah, but there's more for you. We wanna talk in terms of eternity instead of just in terms of this moment. And so I want you to know, like, I've prayed a lot over this. Um, and so if, if, if you find yourself in a moment where your heart is kind of beating faster or whatever, I'd love to hear about it. I'd love, I'd love to talk about it just so, because I want to hear your story and I want to know you. We started this series at the beginning. We made this kind of a throwaway comment. You'll begin to see kind of where we're going. Early on in the series, we talked about how sometimes one of the obstacles to people encountering uh, the Holy Spirit or their ideas is weirdness. You may have seen, whether it's on YouTube, whether it is wherever it is, um, some weirdness associated with people um, allegedly under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Things like clucking like a chicken, right? So then the question becomes, what does it look like when the Holy Spirit comes? Does the Holy Spirit come into our gathering in order to cause us to cluck like chicken, to laugh hysterically? Does he... Does the Holy Spirit come and um, inspire us to run around the room as fast as we can? And some of you are just like, I've seen it. I know. That's it. Does the Holy Spirit come and cause us to uh, cause our feelings to turn um, gold? Does the Holy Spirit come and when the Holy Spirit comes, cause us to, at the touch of someone, cause us to just fall down on the ground? Right now, an easy thing to do at this point would be to say, heck, no, that never happens. Or to say, heck, yes, that always happens. That's what it's supposed to look like. But the answer is much more nuanced than that, if you will. But we can acknowledge, I think, together one thing. Right. Maybe. Maybe so. Maybe not. I'm going to ask for this latitude today. Sometimes weird is just Weird. 
Some of you have needed permission to say that for a long time in your life, right? Sometimes, like when you're listening to music, right? And, you know, sometimes like my kids will come to me like, listen to this wonderful song. And I'm just like, that's just weird. That's not good weird. That's just weird weird, right? And we have to figure this out and, and we have to get it right. But the question remains, what does it look like? Because if the Holy Spirit has the power to transform the world and my life, which listen, we, can, we cannot back away from that. If the Holy Spirit is just something that makes me feel a little funny in my guts for a little bit, if the Holy Spirit is something that just, if the most that we can hope for from the Holy Spirit is like a cloud of dust or in the air or around the vents or clucking like chickens or running around, if that's the most that we can hope for from the Holy Spirit, the big question around that is, so what? Someone's like, well, Jason just couldn't, he just changed the feelings of my, yes, could, he's the Holy Spirit, he can do whatever he wants. He can turn this building into magma or cupcakes, whatever, like he's the Holy Spirit, he can do whatever he wants. But the question is, why? To what end and to what purpose? When we say that the Holy Spirit has been moving in our midst, we say the Holy Spirit is moving, he comes to transform my life and the world, and weird is just weird, and sometimes you just have to call it that, but here's the reality, and here's an inescapable truth, this thing you can plant a flag on and not deviate from it, living by the power of the Holy Spirit should be evident to the world. People should be able to walk into a church where the Holy Spirit, where people are actively listening for, looking towards, and submitting to the Holy Spirit, and there should be a discernible difference. One of the guys from the, the 1950s, he was kind of up in Chicago, his name was A.W. Tozer, he had a quote and he said this, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. First of all, ouch. Second of all, my gut says not here, but it does us well to examine. And it does well for you to examine in your life as well. Here's the question. What if none of this is true? What about your life changes? What about your relationships changes? What about your relationship to money changes if this isn't true? And the question is, if nothing changes, if all of this is not true, then maybe it's not really ultimately about this at all. Because Jesus came to give us life. And I had, yesterday I, I did, I presided over a funeral. Funerals are always different. But let me just tell you, you know this. There's a discernible difference in the room between a baby dedication and a funeral, isn't there? We know what life looks like. And what I want to say to myself and to you, when the Holy Spirit gets involved in your life, it is anything but business as usual. When there is submission to the work of God and the Holy Spirit in this place, it is anything but business as usual. But how? What does it look like? That's the question, right? There's a song that we sing, and I go back and forth with my wife, and I'm not teasing anything, right? But, like, but he just talks about like when the Holy Spirit comes, it'll make my heart pound. Jesus died on the cross so your heart could pound. That's good. You know what else? If I drink that third cup of coffee, also my heart will pound. <laughs> 
So now we have to ask, how is it that the Holy Spirit invades our life? What does it look like? How will I know? So I want to pick up kind of, I want to retread some ground, really just one verse from last week. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to uh, include some other stuff. But really, I want to finish out that uh, 1 Corinthians kind of pack. So we start where we started last week. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, while you find it, I just want to cite, like remind us, right? Weird is weird. The Holy Spirit gets involved in our lives. It should look like something. And we're not anti-weird if weird makes a difference, right? Like what we see in the book of Acts is weird, right? But it's the Holy Spirit moving. And we see it because there was life and there was activity. So Paul said last week, we saw this, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, What he's saying is, I want you to understand spiritual gifts. Now, a part of understanding spiritual gifts is knowing what they look like and what they don't look like. The problem is, too often we go into a place that's supposed to be, we go into a church or a spiritual place with spiritual people, and they start doing things, and we should start going, well, I guess that's what it's supposed to look like running around and, 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 and all of this. Right? I suppose that's what it's supposed to look like. And what Paul says is, I want you to not be unaware. I want you, and it, this comes to us too. I, as a pastor, kind of speaking also with Paul, I want you to have this really beautiful, well, fully formed, well thought out theology of the movement of the Holy Spirit. Do you know why? Because I want your life to absolutely drip with it. Because I want the Holy Spirit to be oozing from every pore in your body. And the reason I want that is because we've said since the beginning of this entire season, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Don't become a slave again. Just because you want a little of this or a little bit of that or because it's really nice when my heart pounds and I like to cluck like chickens or whatever it is, right? Like don't don't settle for less than that. So now, right now, so how are we going to get How are we going to be um, aware? Then let's skip down all the way down to verse 27 in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says, I don't want you to be unaware. Now he says this. This is important. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it, okay? So do you remember what we talked about last week? We talked about spiritual gifts, right? And he said some of you have the gift of prophecy or the gift of teaching or the gift of helps or the gift of healing or speaking in tongues or all of these things. Well, what Paul says here is you, each individually, you are a member of the body of Christ. And you're like, I did not go through the membership class to the body of Christ. I get it. I understand. Membership in the body of Christ simply means sharing in one spirit. Remember that song that we sang, It's Your Breath in Our Lungs? I love Love that song. I'm watching Walter here. He's worshiping up here, and I love it. Listen, the Greek word for breath is any ideas? Pneuma. Anyone want to guess what the Greek word for the Holy Spirit is? Pneuma. It's a good guess. Over here, I heard a rum, mumbling. Right. <laughs> It's your breath in our lungs. It is your spirit which gives us life. It is your spirit which allows us to have utterance. But the thing is, like, I have the Holy Spirit of God. And this is my friend Amber, who I know knows and fears the Lord. She has the spirit of God. That is her son Hudson right next to her. And he, as he follows the Lord, he has the spirit of God. So what that means is we all have the same spirit. It's similar to the last name. I'm going to spend this week with people who all have a last name very similar to mine. 
minds. You know why? Because we are family. And that's what happens. That's what we've said. When the Spirit comes into us, we all have the same Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit, and I have the Holy Spirit, and the Apostle Peter had the Holy Spirit, and the Apostle James had the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit of God, which hovered over the chaotic waters at the beginning, it's the same. Do you realize why we have to be nice to each other? Do you realize why we have to love each other? Why that's the command, right? Like, go love your enemies, love each other. Because you and I have the same spirit in us, even if we vote different. Even if we spend our money different. Even if we live different places. Even if we care about different things. It's the Holy Spirit in us. And we are a part of that body. Now we go to verse 28. And God has appointed these in the church. Okay, so now he's about to talk about roles. First, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. Next, miracles. Then gifts of healing, helping, leading, and various kinds of tongues, okay? So now, so important. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. And then he says, you're one body. Who is he talking about right now? Individual members or the church? The church. This is a passage about the church. Very important when we come to the next chapter, okay? Remember, this is a passage of scripture about the church. And what he says is, everybody in the church who follows the Holy Spirit has spiritual gifts. And these spiritual gifts organize themselves into these roles and functions. Apostle is not a spiritual gift. Apostle is a role that can be executed by many different spiritual gifts. So what does it say? He is... uh, Add the apostles, the prophets, and the teachers. I am a teacher, but my spiritual gift is encouragement, which means that my teaching comes in the form of encouragement. Not encouragement like, hey, you're nice. Sometimes I hope that, but more like, hey, you're nice. Get going. You got stuff to do. God's got a big plan and a big purpose for your life, and he can make that happen, right? So he organized these roles because that's how the body of Christ is organized. The body of Christ, the church, is gathered and it's organized by function. I'm a ba- I was a baseball player, right? And so we would have times in practice, the outfielders would go there, the infielders would go there, the pitchers would go there, the catchers would go there, the hitters would go there, and everybody knew where they were supposed to be based on their function. So when we talked last week about spiritual gifts, that's why we talked about that. Listen, you have a role in the church. You have a function in, if this is your church home, now if you're just visiting for Thanksgiving, God bless you. But if you have a church back at home, wherever that is, listen, you have a role and a function to play there. Listen, I firmly believe, and you can yell at me if you want to just check this out. Listen, I believe that when we see a need in the world, when we see a hungry person on the street corner, when we see something in culture and society and we look at it and we go, that's not right. I firmly believe behind that is somebody not walking in what God has for them to do. In the same way, listen, when I hide, when there's something that goes on in here in the course of the congregation at River City and I want to hide from it because it's hard. I believe that that's not good for us because I have a role to play here and not only a role, but a gift to help me play that. Are we tracking? You're like, not really. I get it. Within the context of the church, there are different functions. There is a function that you are not only supposed to play, but gifted to play. 
If you are a follower of Jesus, if his Holy Spirit is in you, there is something that he wants to release through you into the world. Can you imagine how wonderful that would be if everybody just used their gifts and their role in the right way? Wouldn't that be wonderful if we all went and did that? Let's go to verse 29. Now he asks, are all apostles, right? Because he just said, some of you are apostles and prophets and teachers. Are all apostles? We know the rhetorical answer is what? No. No, you're not all apostles. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? No. See, that's the thing. Like he acknowledges, Paul acknowledges this human thing in us, right? Like some of you think that as long if you're not doing what I'm doing, that you're not doing anything Christian. If you're not doing what Miss Jamie thinks you do, some of you think like, oh, all I do in the nursery is hold a baby. And what I want to tell you is what you do is love that child in Jesus's name. That's an important role. That's an important part to play, right? So the big teaching in this 1 Corinthians 12 part right now is that the Holy Spirit gives believers gifts. And there's this differentiation within the body according to gifts and about, um, about gifts and about roles and all that. So you've got a part to play and a gift to play that. And that's how the body is supposed to run. Here's the thing. Church structure matters. And here's why. Trigger warning. You or someone you know may have been badly wounded, even abused at a church by a gifted leader. And what I want to tell you is, it's not supposed to be that way. You are not supposed to suffer at the hands of spiritual leaders whose role and function and giftedness is to point you and to bring you into Jesus. The reason we have church authority is so that we can get as much good and as much life done as possible. We structure this. I'm the pastor and Nick is an associate pastor and Jamie is a minister, right? But our role is to equip you to do what God has called you to do out there. When it gets bad is when I begin to see you as necessary for my gift. Do you see? When I start to say, God has called me to preach to the nation. Why? There's people already there. Why does it have to be my voice? Right? What I want to say is if you have ever been abused by a spiritual leader because they were gifted or because they were powerful or because they were important or because their church or their ministry was too big to fail, what I want to tell you is that is not the work of the Holy Spirit. And listen to me. Listen to me. I'm sorry. That's not okay. That's not God's desire. That's not God's heart. And when you see somebody who has been wounded by the church, I want you to look them in the eyes and I want you to tell them. It's not supposed to be that way. But see what happens when we operate in a gifts with a gifts first paradigm. What that does is it always centers me. 
As long as church is about my needs, as long as church is about my gifts and my expression of my gifts and my talents and my position, I don't care about you because it's only about me. So listen, the, while we all need gifts for ministry, my, you know, next week we're going to get to hear from Jennifer as we start our Advent series, Jennifer. And here's the promise I make to you. When I put a, a, a teacher up on this stage, to the best of my ability, to the best of my information and knowledge, this person has the spiritual gift of teaching. They're, this is a person through whom God works and moves and uses to instruct all of us. Anybody who's going to get up on this stage and teach is someone who I learned from, someone who, who, who teaches me. And so that's how the Holy Spirit moves, works. But what that's supposed to do is bring life to you. So there has to be a better way, right? How can we be unignorant? How can we not be uninformed about spiritual gifts and still get it right and still bring life and ministry of Jesus, right? Jesus didn't come to bring condemnation or destruction. He came to set things right, right? Well, here's the deal. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are not the greatest way to experience the Holy Spirit. And some of you are like, well, good, because I don't really use my spiritual gifts anyway. So no, listen, you need to use your spiritual gifts. You need to use them. You need to go serve. You need to go out and love. You need to go out and find people, and you need to find what you do. The best way to know what your spiritual gift is is to do something and then see how well it goes, right? Go teach a youth class and find. And listen, if everybody at the end of your youth ministry, if everybody there is falling asleep, good news. You're not a teacher. You should go do something else. <laughs> but you know what's great about that? Now we know you're, hey, listen, call me to your house to fix your plumbing. You'll know real quick why plumbers are important, right? And that's not nothing. You know how to do it better next time, right? So listen, even if you have to discover what your spiritual gifts aren't, that's movement and that's growth. But listen, here's what I want to tell you. Practicing your spiritual gifts is so important and it's a great way to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's not the best way to do it. That's why, listen, 12 verse 31, Paul says, but desire the greater gifts and I will show you an even better way. Better than apostles and prophets and teachers and evangelism and all that. Yeah, baby. Better than all of that. That's why the gifts, right? The gifts aren't best, right? They focus on me. Listen to what verse chapter 13. Now remember, what was 12 about was, was, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, was it about a couple who's about to get married? Nope. Was it about a mother and a son? Nope. It's about the church. It is about us. Look at the room. A lot of weird looking people in here, right? You should see second service, man, goofy. This, this is what the Holy Spirit does. Listen, my wife isn't from here. God has brought her all the way from Houston, Texas. Thank you, Lord. I'm looking at Wally's here from Washington. You're probably here from somewhere else. Listen, what if the Holy Spirit has you here for a reason and for a purpose? What if you're not here by accident? What if your background has specifically and especially prepared you for this moment? What if you know what your spiritual gifts are? What if you know what your role is here and you're like, I have this gift and this context and I'm ready to go. What I want to tell you is you're all chomping at the bit, ready to go for your spiritual gifts. What I want to tell you is there's a better way than standing up and leaning in and just walking up and going, my gifts are teaching, therefore give me a pulpit. 
Paul tells us why there's a better way. Verse 1, if I speak in human or angelic tongues, but I do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. See, this is where the weirdness comes in. I've known people who speak in tongues who are just gross people, hurtful and wounding and selfish. I mean, I know people who don't speak in tongues who do that as well, right? So the idea, though, is that's not it. See, Paul understood He's writing to the Corinthian church, which is this incredibly gifted congregation of people. And he just says, look, if you've got all these beautiful sign gifts and you can stand on stage and you can, you can do all that, but you don't love the people that you're talking to or you don't love the people that go out there, what does he say? You're a clanging gong. Have you ever been in a moment where you needed someone to just weep with you, to cry with you, to sit with you and just go, listen, I know you're in the darkest moment of your life and I just want you to know you are not alone. Have you ever needed that and had someone come up to you and go, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him of called according to purpose. And you're just like, shut up. It's not that it's not truth. It's just that love will cause you to recognize the moment. There's a season for hugging and loving and mourning with those who mourn and grieving for those who grieve. And there's a moment to tell the truth and to encourage someone out of a funk. Love is able to discern the difference. But if you have the gifts but don't have love, you're just a gong. You're just a symbol. Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy, right? If I can stand and go, thus saith the Lord. And if I can understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am Say it. Do you know why? Because if I can pick up a mountain, but I don't love you, I'm just as likely to set it down on top of you. Because in that moment, if I don't love you, then the entire Christian experience is all about my gift, my teaching, my preaching, my wisdom, my ministry, my goodness. And let me just tell you, any recipe that begins 100% of the sentence with a preacher talking about my, 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 that's a church you should leave, including this one if I ever start doing that. You just have to know this. I can't say this enough. You cannot follow me to heaven. Only Jesus. Now, I'm going to do my very best to point to him. I'm going to do my very best to teach you about him as much as I know. But you need to know, friends, I will let you down. I will collapse under the weight of pressure. Jesus won't. In the same way he doesn't want you to rely on your boss at work, in the same way he doesn't want you to rely entirely on your spouse or on your parents or on your children, he wants you to rely entirely and exclusively on him. So if we have all of this spiritual knowledge, but if we don't have love, we are, spiritually speaking, nothing. And I want you to know, like, I don't know ancient Greek, right? But I know where to find stuff. I do want you to know there is a Greek word for some things. So if it were possible for spiritual knowledge to do something without love, Paul would have been able to, to communicate that. But the idea is without love, even the really like ethereal kind of spiritual gift of stuff, it's nothing. And if I give away all of my possessions... And if I give over my body in order to boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. There's that word, nothing. That means if you go on every single mission trip, 
If you give 100% of your grocery budget to the SOS Food Bank, which, I mean, you should support the SOS Food Bank. But if we do that because it's some kind of tip to how awesome I am or to my faith, what it says is we have nothing. If we sacrifice physically, but we don't love our neighbors or our enemy. If I have any gift or any role or any mission or any ministry, but I do not have love, I am spiritually speaking nothing. Gifts put me at the middle of the universe. When I put my gifts at the center, what I keep expecting is you to acknowledge and affirm and celebrate my gifts. And that's not really what it's about. See, that's what the weirdness behind the Holy Spirit is. It is a counterfeit based on some weird thing that I want for me. Listen, maybe God, of course God can turn my feelings, right? But what does me having gold feelings do one bit to feed a hungry person, to lead a person to Jesus, to make one bit of difference in the world outside of, hey, neat, that's for me. And what I want to say, look, and this is the trigger warning, because I don't know where we've showed up. I don't know where we come from. It's like, I know, and I know that this is, this is, this is hard and this is difficult stuff, but what the world doesn't need is more me telling me and you how awesome me is. We have entire electronic platforms for everybody to talk about me. And what the Holy Spirit wants to do is what Jesus did, which is center other people. Which means when I walk into a room and it's just you and me, there is no doubt and no question who the most important person in that room is. Because the Holy Spirit is in me, you are the most important person in that room. And if there's multiple people, all of you. In every room, in every situation, my faith compels me to say, Holy Spirit, do you have me? Are you going to take care of me? Are you going to provide for me? Great. Then I am fully supplied and I am free to take care of this. Anybody. And if the Holy Spirit's just about my feelings, what that leads to is me being isolated. It leads to me trying to conjure up some experience in my living room or in a quiet and empty church. Instead of being out where the people who Jesus loves, who Jesus is calling, who Jesus died for, being out where they are. So it is important that we would be informed about the Holy Spirit. But it is vital that we know this, that the truest evidence of the Holy Spirit is love expressed as grace. Here's the thing, church. There is one thing that this world cannot counterfeit, and it is grace. When you walk in grace, you are doing something that only the Holy Spirit can do. That is the measure. That is the metric. Listen. Listen to how he says it. Love, right? Love is patient. It is kind. The thing I want you to notice in Paul's description right here, and again, remember, he's not talking about marriage. He's talking about the church. He's talking about people that you didn't choose, about people that you didn't pick, people that you didn't mean to sit by in the rows, people that you wished weren't sitting by you right now. He's talking to all of us about all of us. He's talking to me about the Presbyterians and the Presbyterians about the Methodists, right? And he says, love is patient. Everything that you're going to see in this list is always in relation to someone else, to another person. It is patient towards other people. It is kind to other people. It does not envy what other people has. It does not boast to other people about what I have. It is not arrogant to other people about how I am so awesome and they are not. It is not rude to other people. It is not self-seeking. You know what that means about the others, right? It is not irritable towards others, and it does not keep a record of what others have done wrong. 
Love finds no joy in the unrighteousness of others, but it rejoices when others live in and walk in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as far as prophecies, they'll come to an end. Tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. Now, real quick, the rest of this passage talks about when they will come to an end. Some people think that it says that they will come to end, uh, that they came to the end when the scripture was closed, when the apostle John finished writing the book of Revelation. It doesn't say that. It says they will come to an end when we know perfectly, even as we are perfectly known, which is not right now, which means it's someday, which means there's the potential and the possibility for all of these things. And we will know that all of these things come from the Holy Spirit when they are drenched in and saturated by love for another. Each of these is about another person. Did you notice something, right? Love is patient, love is kind, it's not arrogant, it doesn't boast. Did you notice a similarity to another passage of scripture that we talk about all the time? Galatians chapter five, right? Verse 22 and 23, the fruit of the spirit is Love, it's joy, it's peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It says about these things there is no law. So go look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 8, and Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And what you'll find is that love is what the Holy Spirit does. Love, not works, right? Not me standing up and preaching a powerful sermon. Not my wife, Natalie, standing up here and singing a beautiful song. Not those things, but it is love. It is the movement and the grace of the Holy Spirit. It is this fruit that is born in us that matters. That's why love equals grace, because God does it. Listen, you are ill-equipped and unprepared and unable to love the world as it needs to be loved. There's precisely one person in all of human history who was able to love the world as it needed to be loved. His name was Jesus. He was born in Nazareth. And the good news is, are you listening? He gave us his spirit. We are now able, able, not just able, instructed to continue the ministry of loving the world in the same way that Jesus did, using our gifts. Grace is, we are badly broken. Say it again. That's grace. Your job says, I don't want to talk about love. Let's talk about productivity and paycheck. And those things don't come if you don't do your job. If you're broken, if you're too broken too often, you have to go find a different job, right? But this is what Jesus said as well. John chapter 13, verse 35, he says, You'll, Everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And again, he was talking about this room. They'll know you're my disciples if you love one another. Listen, we're a motley crew in here. We come from all kinds of different places, and we got all kinds of different bags of stuff that we're holding. But I want to tell you is that love that Jesus wants to put in your life, that's the measure. That's the metric. We've said this for the last couple weeks, right? This should be an absolute safe place for everybody to come, but absolutely nobody should show up here and be comfortable in the life that they're leading because the Holy Spirit wants to constantly lead us on to new things, not with condemnation, not with criticism, with conviction and with adoption and with sanctification so that we can experience his freedom, right? This, listen, if you were wounded in the church by a really gifted person who didn't have time for you, what I want to tell you is it's supposed to look like this. 
You were supposed to be loved. And I'm sorry it didn't go that way. I am sorry that you weren't loved the way that you needed to be. Now, what I want to tell you is that's not Jesus' heart. That's not what Jesus has and what Jesus desires for you. Now, that's what Jesus has and desires for me. He wants me to be enough to get beyond that. He wants me, whatever the gifts that I have, he wants my graces to outweigh. Listen, the measure is grace, not gifts. But he wants me to use my gifts as well, right? So the idea is, how is it possible? What can we do in order to practice our gifts under the covering of grace so that everybody who experiences our gifts goes, that felt like love? Even if you have to tell them something that they don't want to hear so that they'll know that that feels like love. Turn to John chapter 15 because I'm going to show you in three real quick verses the secret and the key, what it is. Are you ready? John chapter 15 in verse 4, Jesus says this, Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. The way that you practice your gifts under the covering of grace is just simply spend time with Jesus always. Every minute of every day with Jesus. He's with you. It's a matter of acknowledgement. It's a ma- and listen, here's what you can do. Set an alarm on your phone to go off every hour. And every time that phone goes off, Notice what you're thinking about. My guess would be, at the very first, it's not going to be Jesus very often because you're not in the habit. So do you know what you do in that moment? If it's about work and if it's about gifts, in that moment, you should feel guilt and condemnation and shame. Good thing it's not about that, isn't it? Because you know what you do when you realize you haven't been thinking about Jesus in the middle of your day? You go, Jesus, I haven't been thinking about you, and I'm so sorry. Will you be in the front of my mind for right now? And what you do is you begin to find there will come a moment where your alarm will go off and you will be thinking about Jesus. And you know what that is? Growth. And you know what happens when you begin to grow like that? Jesus is upstairs going, whoa, you're the man, woo, you go get it there, right? And next minute, you're not going to do it. The secret is to remain in Jesus. The secret is to have more and more of the moments of your life saturated by the presence of Jesus. He says, remain in me and Yeah, just remain in me, and I in you, right? Verse 5, he says, I am the vine, and you're the branches. The one who remains in me, and I in him, produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. That's that second part again. Listen, it's all the grace that I can muster right here. Don't be surprised to discover that you are terrible at this. Give yourself grace. Do you know why? Because he just told us, apart from him, you can do Nothing. So when you're in the middle of something and it's just grinding you to a nub, you need to ask yourself, you go, Jesus, are you here? Because this is terrible. And I thought it would be different. You're like, my job, I hate my job and I can't get like, well, change jobs. <gasps> oh, but what about my paycheck? Well, find a job that pays, that, has, that gives you a paycheck. But your job's not your provider. Jesus is your provider. So we had a different job. Don't change your spouse because wherever you go, there you are. Your spouse is you know, they're all going to do that thing that they don't do, right? So stick it out, fight it out. But listen, you're going to struggle with this because it's hard because your flesh is strong and your flesh is powerful. So what you have to do is you have to practice giving control to the Holy Spirit, right? That's what grace is for. So when you fail, confess it. But still, 
be with Jesus. That's the great thing about Jesus near me. You go, oh, I'm terrible at this. Jesus, forgive me. And you know what Jesus says when you do that? Okay. 1 John 1, 9, you should memorize that. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. Do you know why I memorize that verse? Because I use it all the time. Do it. Connect with Jesus. Verse, uh, chapter 15, verse uh, 6 and 7. If anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. Prayer is the connection. As you walk through your day, as you see something, little, little things. Every time I drive by an ambulance on the road and its sirens are whirring, I pray for salvation and healing. I don't know where the thing's going. I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know what's wrong with it. But in those moments where I hear the sirens, I can pray. Someone's day just got a whole lot worse. And God, you can be in that moment. Just begin to pray in the moments where you are with whatever it is that you're dealing with and begin to sense God's presence with you. Why? Verse 8, I'm going to wrap with this. My Father is glorified when you produce much fruit and, and prove to be my disciples. Listen, if you're not remaining in Jesus, if you're not bearing fruit, if you're not confessing sins and getting closer, I say this with all seriousness, there's no manipulation and no whatever like this, you should do something better with your Sunday mornings. There's football on. Don't come hear me talk longer than my allotted time for you to go do your own thing. Just, just go do your own thing, right? Because what this is about is this radical belief and idea that if we will draw close to Jesus, his spirit in us will activate and come alive and work through us in a way that literally changes the spiritual temperature in the places that we go. But it's not about me or my gifts. It is about the love that the Holy Spirit puts in us for others. And the good news is you get to experience that too. So Jesus, I pray that you would enable us to experience your love. I pray that we wouldn't get so focused on gifts that we forget the people. I pray that we wouldn't get so focused on what's happening to us that we lose sight of what you're doing in others. And Holy Spirit, if you come into our lives and into our place and it starts to get uncomfortable because you're moving and because you're bringing about confession and repentance, Lord, we don't ask you to make us comfortable we just ask that you would give us a great sensor for when weird is just weird and what is from you because, Father, we want everything from you, every single thing that you have for us, all the confession, all the sanctification, all the ministry, all the mission, all of it. We want every bit that you have so long as it brings glory to you. That's our desire. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have lived in us. We ask, Jesus, that you'll be glorified. Holy Spirit, that you'll enable us to pray well and to bring glory to Jesus in this world. We ask you and we thank you and we believe that you're doing these things in us. So thank you, Jesus. We ask in your name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. River City Church is all about experiencing and expressing God's love in our lives and community. And we hope that you've been able to experience that today. As grateful as I am that you've spent this time listening in this morning, this podcast is no substitute for full participation in a local church. I love it when River City people listen to other pastors, but it is those who show up week after week 
faithfully giving their support and time and resources that make all of this possible. If we can help you get connected to a local church, pray for you, or support you in any way, click the link in the description and let us know. If you'd like to financially support the ministry of River City, click the Give link on our website in the description. Don't forget to subscribe, and don't forget to share this with your friends. Thanks so much for listening. May the Lord bless and keep you in all grace and peace.